It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. Just as I thought. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, <laughs> good morning. I, uh, just as I thought, your uh, your mic didn't go on because it's not connected to anything right now. We had some technical surprise, <laughs> surprise technical issues here this morning. Peggy's whole wow. computer network just uh, fried over the week, so she lost everything. Mm-hmm. All the connections we have here, so. This I didn't cool. lose data. I just lost connection links and. Uh huh. All right, that's fun. And other I... than the files that just won't open on my computer, but that's a whole other problem. Uh okay, great. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll just we'll just uh, uh, wample forward here, and um, I got to tell you, oh, I... what was that one? Wample. Well, a friend of mine used to say that he used to say we're wampling along, and uh, I kind of like that. That's a, it's a, it's a good way to say and things. You still have your glasses on. Yeah, I do. Um, Kathleen said you look smarter when you have the glasses on, so uh, I, I can't imagine that anything makes me look smarter. Uh, but uh, we're giving it a go. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. We are very, very pleased to have some really terrific people. On the program, um, as you know, last week we discussed uh, the Bell Bull Prairie situation out at Rockford International Airport. And for those of you who have not been paying attention, and I got a feeling that about 99.9% of our viewers know what has happened in the past week, which is to say the airport authority backed off and decided they're not going to plow up this remnant prairie. Really nice. Thank right you. Now. Hey, thank you guys for doing that, okay? Here's the problem, and we'll talk about it in the in the second hour. Um it that's not the end of the story, not by a long shot. There are there no, are No, it's too easy. Yeah, that's just too easy. They just said, well, because they bowed to public pressure and there was a lot of public pressure on to keep that they would have looked really, really bad, and it would have resonated for a long time in Rockford. Now they've bought their they've bought some time, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about it in the second hour. But uh, that issue is still ongoing. But the good news is that there's a, at least a temporary victory out in mm-hmm. Rockford. So uh, we'll discuss that later, and we'll be following that as the weeks and months 
go by. But today we have to move on to another issue, um, and that is uh, something we've discussed on our show many times, and it's uh, about concentrated animal feeding operations, also known as CAFOs. I want to issue a caveat here before we begin, because I know there's some folks who go, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want to see that. I'm not going to show any pictures of uh, of animals in distress, except from a very far distance. All right, so it's not anything that is going to make you have to stop eating breakfast. Um, we're going to talk policy here today, and, and we're going to talk natural resources and how this all affects uh, our natural resources in the state of Illinois and in Iowa and in the United States in general. So that's coming up in, in, in just a second. But uh, I also want to let you know that, uh, as I mentioned before, Peggy and I in the, at the 10 o'clock hour will be discussing uh, a number of issues, uh, including what's going on at Belbo Prairie, where you can take your pumpkins to be smashed. Um, and, and or recycled. Right, because today, of course, is Halloween. Oh, wait a second. Where's my... Scary. Okay, it's Halloween. Mike's looking for something. I think I know what he's looking for. Yeah, I know because I did it on the uh, the preview mm-hmm. the other and day. You, you've I done forgot. this on the show over the years. What? What mean? You mean? You've ooh, done... that's what I'm talking about. The, our friend the bat, mm-hmm. the bat. Uh, for for the Halloween. Bat. Yes, and, bat. and uh, I've we... got my owl on for Halloween. I don't know uh, if you can see it. I've got okay. my owl. That's far too uh, too uh, sophisticated for me. Uh, I just like. Well, finger- I don't have a little. I don't have a bat finger puppet. I, I you, you ought to get one. Everybody needs a bat finger puppet. So, there. Okay. Oh no, <laughs> snowy owl doesn't count. Not for Halloween. <laughs> and I can guarantee you, we're going to show you something very scary uh, in the ten o'clock hour that has to do with me. Uh, this is we we talked about it before. Not uh, Peggy and I talked about it, and, and I'm going to. Um, uh, well, I, I won't say anymore. So uh, we'll we'll do okay. that. Uh, Rick DeMaio will be Moving here. Right uh, our meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be here uh, uh, today uh, to talk about cool weather. Guess what? Fall really is coming this time. And uh, no, 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 yeah, no. yeah. Get and get ready to pay a lot more uh, for your gas bill uh, this winter because those prices are are skyrocketing. So uh, this is uh, this is going to be the winter of our discontent. Uh, so that said, I think we should go uh, immediately to our guests. Let's let's bring them all in. And I'm seeing that their audios are up, so that's good. So that part of the tech is working. Uh, let's start uh, in the upper right-hand corner. That's our friend Karen Hudson from the Illinois Coalition for Clean Air and Water. She's been on our show many times. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. And you've got a, a pumpkin. Uh, a got tree a pumpkin. That, yep. Pumpkin uh, tree, pumpkin scarf, pumpkin coffee. Uh, wow. It's, uh, you don't have the uh, uh, the uh, pumpkin spice latte, whatever they call it at the. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, and and the the pumpkin spice latte, of course, has no pumpkin in it at all. Just letting you know that that is. Anyway, Karen is the co-founder of Col- of the Illinois Coalition for Clean Air and Water. Um, 
which uh, assists and empowers citizens on CAFO issues in over 45 con- counties in Illinois, also a senior regional representative for the Socially Responsible Agriculture Project, which is SRAP or SRAP. Um, and then uh, in our lower left-hand screen, there's Kathy Martin uh, from Norman, Oklahoma. I've got uh, family in Norman, so uh, it's good to have you here. Uh, she's an engineer and technical assistant to SRAP. She has worked on CAFO is- issues since 1997, has worked with communities in 25 states across the country, uh, looking at literally hundreds of manure management plans. Uh, and I love what you said at the end. You describe yourself as a poop expert. Uh, okay. We we need poop experts on the never show. Never dinged a poop expert on the never, never had a poop expert on the show. And it's good to have back our buddy Chris Peterson, uh, an independent, regenerative, and sustainable family farmer. Also a member of SRAP. Uh, He says he's semi-retired, but I'll bet if I looked at your work hours each week, Chris. uh, Yeah, thank you, Karen. Karen's going, "Uh uh-uh. That guy ain't, ain't, uh, no, 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 no. Um, But um, uh, he's uh, raises non-confinement antibiotic-free Berkshire pigs and organic hay and uh, has worked on the front line of advocacy for 30 years against industrialized agriculture. In fact, uh, as I mentioned in the preview we shot uh, the other day, uh, you were even on 60 Minutes, uh, which was very cool. And uh, you 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 just don't hold back, do you, Chris? Nope, go get them. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, well, I want to start with, uh, Karen, I want to start with you and the the general picture here, the general picture of, of CAFOs confined or con- concentrated. Some both words are used, uh, concentrated animal feeding operations. Um, and why in general they pose a danger, uh, not just Illinois, but throughout the country. Well, where do I start? Um, <laughs> they're one of the, yeah. Uh, CAFOs are concentrated. Well, and maybe the, the best place, Karen, Define what a CAFO is. Well, let's just do this for the audience. These are large-scale barns that house hundreds to hundreds of thousands of animals in one spot at one time, and their waste is collected either in large lagoons or or waste pits outside the buildings or collected underneath these buildings. And these animals never see the light of day. Um, what the big problem is concentration of numbers of animals and the amount of uh, emissions they produce through the fans that are exhausted through these buildings and the amount of waste that's spread onto the surrounding communities, causing surface water problems across the country, not just in Illinois. Um, the other issue that I'm very concerned about even involves Chicagoans, people in urban areas, because of the antibiotic resistance issue. And antibiotics are used in factory farms to keep these animals alive in these stressed conditions and to make them grow faster. Now, we've had had some things happen along the way where they're trying to limit antibiotics, but we're not seeing as much progress as we'd like. So we're seeing antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So those of you who 
uh, go to the hospital with a MRSA or methicillin-resistant staph infection, that's, a, that's an antibiotic-resistant infection. Antibiotic resistance is also generated at factory farms due to the overuse of antibiotics. So that's a very big health concern for those in, in the meat supply, people who live near these facilities, and people who are exposed to the water or the air near, near these sites. And you haven't even mentioned the cruelty to the animals inside. We're talking mainly today, we're going to be talking about the effects to people and to our natural resources and to our natural areas. But there's that the cruelty to animals uh, that is uh, one of the main factors of CAFOs. It is. They're stressed and they actually have a higher pathogen loading rate in their manure because of their immune systems being stressed. So that goes hand in hand with the stress that they experience in this situation. All right. And I want to I want to pop something up here that uh, that you sent me. It's a <laughs> uh, welcome to the neighborhood, and uh, you have what? What do you say? Dead boxes directly under fans. What's a? Right. What's Those a- are mortality. Yeah. Those are mortality uh, boxes. And what's a mortality law, box? What's a mortality a- box? There's a certain amount of mortality at each of these facilities, as in any livestock operation, whether it be a confined operation or pastured operation. But um, in Illinois and other states, you are allowed to compost these carcasses, and there's a proper way to do it and an improper way to do it. Uh, they're supposed to be covered with a with an organic material up to a certain depth. Um, and in Illinois, you are you are forced to actually put. Uh, lids or covers on these on these dead boxes and often uh, other animals such as coyotes or other animals around the site will drag these carcasses off site the one very interesting thing about this photograph is that these dead boxes are located right under the fans that are exhausting the fumes from the building and this is facing towards one of the neighbors, well, two of the neighbors, three of the neighbors, actually. And one of those neighbors has actually moved because of the intolerable emissions that they have been forced to experience from this site. Well, yeah, that's something that that uh, the neighbors to these operations experience all the time. I'm going to pop up another photo here. And you, and you, and you look at this from the outside and you go, well, that's not so bad. It's a, you know, there's there's a building and. Uh, whatever else, and I, and I encourage Kathy and Chris for you. Uh, you jump in at any time as well. Uh, actually, Chris, you're uh, I th- believe you're the one who sent me this photo. So this is another welcome to the neighborhood photo, isn't it? Yeah, right. And the, the point I make a lot is this is not farms. This is not farming. This is industry, and. You know, the, the antibiotic issues, animal welfare issues, um, the neighborhood impacts, everything seems to center on neighborhoods not wanting these types of operations. Yeah, and uh, and then if you look from uh, the sky, you're likely to see something like this. And uh, a, a word of advice, if you see a big purple lagoon, run, okay? Because uh, so what, uh, Kathy, maybe you can address this. What is in the big purple lagoon? Well, actually, the purple color is indicative that an anaerobic bacteria is degrading the waste. So it's actually a good sign for a large-scale uh, anaerobic lagoon. 
the problem is the the size of it and the 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 massive amount of waste that's inside these lagoons. If you were an engineer and you looked at this, you'd say, "How come it has such a weird shape? Why isn't it uh, rectangular or or whatever?" Well, it, it, what they did is they built this to fit the property, not to be a good engineering design. Does that make sense? Number two, it's probably not lined. If you look around the edges of the berm, you don't see any black plastic. So it's probably sitting straight on the dirt, compacted dirt possibly. So this thing will be constantly uh, seeping into the groundwater. And that's, uh, that's a story you can read from the sky, right? Yeah, I don't see anything in there that looks very uh, natural as far as uh, if you showed a similar picture of cows grazing on the pasture, you know, you get that that uh, very calm feeling when you're driving down the road and you see cows munching on grass. But when you see these big barns, uh, to me, that is not natural. Well, right? you're not you're not certainly not seeing any animals outside of those yeah. facilities. Yeah. And- my, my, uh, I flew over these facilities in Greene County back in 1997, similar facilities in Illinois. And we were in a small uh, single engine plane and we put down in the next county over with severe headaches. Um, there were 80,000 uh, hogs at that site. Wait and a second. Were you were in a plane and you still got headaches from this? Yes, it was. It was. It, it was in the late morning hours, and the emissions were actually heading up. And we put down, and everyone, you know, took Tylenol in the next stop that we made to refuel. And I, I would never have believed it had I not experienced that uh, down in Greene County, Illinois. They were cited for double loading their lagoons because it was still under construction, and there were hogs in other buildings. They were piping the manure over, and there wasn't. There was more sludge in that lagoon than should have been, and the bacteria was not uh, digesting properly, as Kathy mentioned. So, yes, I've been in airplanes where we have we have had the effects of, of the emissions rising well, up. Now, that's yeah. interesting. You would say double loading. I would look at that and go, well, who, who can tell what they're putting in there in the first place? How would you even measure whether somebody's double loading a lagoon? Well, they had buildings already constructed at – several other sites i can provide those photos to you too mike and those lagoons weren't ready for uh to be used yet so they were piping manure over from other buildings to to a few other lagoons so basically they were they were not following the rules so all right so in addition to these pits uh from what i understand and you can one of you can explain this there are pits under the facilities as well and these are the fans that are uh, blowing out the air from those pits? Yeah, I can take that. So what you're looking at here is the side of a hog farm or a hog confinement where they use deep pits. Which These are concrete pits that are constructed below the slatted floor inside the barn. So there's no lagoons with it. And then this fan system that you see there where it's kind of jutting out from the side of the building that's an access port to the, the pits underneath the barn. And those pits can be anywhere from eight to 10 feet deep. Uh, the width of the barn, which might be 75 feet wide and let's say 500, 600 feet long. So a massive amount of uh, uh, 
storage underneath the barns, typically up to a million gallons for each barn. And those, as the manure sits there, it's it's uh, always degrading. And when you when uh, feces degrades, it it produces gases, and those gases, of course, stink. Amazing, because they include ammonia, they include hydrogen sulfide gas, they include a, an amazing number of volatile organic compounds, uh, up to 150 compounds, of which our noses, our human noses, when we when we smell those organic gases, we know that it's from the degrading of protein, and we know that that's not healthy for us. So we have an immediate negative reaction. That's what's going on. And this propionic acid, valeric acid, these are extremely odorous compounds that we can smell in the parts per billion, and they are being exhausted through this pit fan pretty much constantly. The reason why is those gases, if they rose up through the slatted floors, because they include ammonia and hydrogen sulfide gas, they would affect the health of the pigs whose noses are basically on the floor, right? And the ammonia would give them respiratory problems. The hydrogen sulfide gas would affect their central nervous system. So the, ho the hog producer has to get those gases out of the barn, and they, so they blow them out through these pit fans. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah. And, um, cool. this Chris, a uh, couple comments. You know, we're talking about all these fans, and Kathy is right. Um, they'd been out the poison to the neighborhood. Uh, the fans shut off. The pigs die. You know, that that's what confinement does when you put too many animals in one spot. Um, things happen. And the second point I want to make, since we're talking about poop, um, you know, the poop picture of this huge lagoon, you know, out in the environment, no cover over it, no liner under the bottom. This, this stuff is getting in the air, it's seeping in the ground. And as living in rural Iowa, <clears throat> it is very, very, very strict for family farms and, and houses out here to have up to snuff septic systems where our poop is treated. You know, it goes through a process. Um, and the confinement industry, they, they get away with things like this. They, they don't have to treat their poop. Um, you know, and it's liquid poison is what it is, unlike what my pigs produce, you know, I use bedding and everything else. So it's a different way of raising pigs, which is more safety conscious, more acceptable to the people and the environment. All right. And uh, very quickly here, this is a, a wide shot, but this is what is inside. And those are pigs mm -hmm. in confinement cages um, and um as you can see, there's no room for them to move. This is pretty much how they spend most of their lives, isn't it? So that looks like yeah, a picture I... of a gesta gestation barn, Chris. So you might talk about the fact that each each of those are sows, right? Yeah. They can't move or turn around. Uh, that's how they spend their lives in that small area. And it's a very stressful, yeah. stressful environment. Their immune system 
suffers for that. Um, needless to say, it's an inhumane way to raise it. Yeah, animals. and Chris sent me these photos, and they're basically taken on his uh, table there. So if you see things around there, that these are photographs that you were taking uh, on, on the table, and here's a, another shot. And, I, and that's about as close as we're going to get. That's about as um, as graphic as we're going to be on this program uh, with these. Uh, Chris, do you want to explain this a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I sent these pictures, and we can talk in a few minutes about the alternative, the way I raise pigs. But yeah. these are gestation crates, and the sows are pregnant. You know, it takes three weeks or three months, three weeks, and three days uh, until they have their babies from the time they are bred. And they spend their lives in these crates. They can stand up, sit down, can't turn around. And the sad thing is, when they're getting ready to have pigs, they're moved to a farrowing crate where it is a little wider and the bars on the bottom are a little higher. So, but they still can't turn around. They have no bedding. Um, They can lay down and flip to the side and have their babies and nurse their babies. Um, So these sows spend their entire life in these crates. And, you know, we're letting these things go on and here us real family farmers are trying to do things right. And, you know, I, I really put out the message, quit buying this kind of meat. Yeah. Bad. Uh, and and you did send me. We'll uh, let's go back to the shot of uh, uh, of you guys here, so uh, we don't have to look at that for too much longer. Um, and uh, and if I can track it down, I I've gotten so many photos from you guys over the last few days. I know that yeah. there's one from you, Chris. I, uh, I had another question for Kathy as well. Going back to those lagoons and yeah. the underground storage, just for again for our listeners. What happens to all of that poop? Okay. It all winds uh, up being spread, correct? Right. So whatever doesn't evaporate, whatever doesn't leak into the groundwater, it gets pumped on a regular basis to cropland, hopefully, and uh, sprayed and or injected into the dirt. If it's sprayed... It could be sprayed with uh, center pivot irrigation or those big guns. Let me tell you, if they use the big guns, then you really smell that for a long distance. Uh, a lot of uh, different states try to encourage the use of furrowing and injection to reduce that odor. But the, the people who live near land application fields, they're, uh, you know, in the spring and in the, the fall, they get a couple of weeks of in very intense odors, and they may not live anywhere near the actual hog farm or chicken farm. To add on to that, Kathy, um, we've also found research out of Pennsylvania that the closer you live to these manure application sites, the more likely you are to be colonized with methicillin-resistant staph in your bloodstream, not have an actual infection, but actually have that. And if you become infected with a soft skin tissue infection, it's more likely to go to MRSA. And new Iowa research shows that the closer you live to these sites, you're almost three times as likely to, to be colonized with MRSA. That was done by University of Iowa School of Public Health. 
All right. So we've set a background. We have we've given folks a, a background here of what uh, a CAFO is, what a CAFO does, some of the harm it can do in an area, uh, as we've mentioned in the past. And, and how are, I have to ask you, uh, we talked about our friends at Sunset Lake um, Organic Farm. Um, uh, how are they doing, Karen? Um, I can't talk too much about that. Uh, situation right now uh, because of processes that are going on. But I can say that that story is so compelling because it's farmers against farmers. The nearest neighbors are farmers. And there are times when they can't farm on their own property, take care of their own garden, take care of their own animals uh, because of the emissions. Um, If they leave their laundry in the dryer overnight and the wind shifts, they may open their dryer in their laundry room in the morning and be inundated with hydrogen sulfide odors that is that has penetrated their clothes. That's just a snapshot of some of the things that are going on there. Yeah, and, and, and um, I will add that that farm, it's an organic farm yeah. where uh, CAFA was put in next door, uh, owned by Randy. Uh, the, the organic farm is owned by Randy and Crystal Claire. She is already dealing with cancer, and now she has to deal with the organic, the, uh, the, the volatile compounds that are coming out of this uh, very toxic uh, CAFO next door. And those fans blow directly at their farm instead of the opposite direction where there are no residences. Those fans are actually pointing at their property. And we've got almost five, about 5,000 hogs at that site. And it's become a serious problem for them. Oh, dear. Okay. That takes us. Yeah, be- more than two years ago, we talked about that. That's just. Yeah, wow. this is an ongoing, ongoing problem. So uh, before we break here, I want to show this photo because this leads us to the subject of our talk today. And we'll spend the next uh, half hour dealing with this. This is the Mohammed Aquifer and Sangamon River watershed outline. Um, and this is courtesy of the Mohammed Aquifer Consortium, as you can see. Um, this is in uh, East Central Illinois. On the left, the squiggly line you see the, as a border, that's the Illinois River. And the dark area is the uh, the aquifer itself. And there is a CAFO scheduled to be, it hasn't happened yet, has it, uh, Karen? No, no, okay. it has not. So they've applied to put a CAFO uh, on top of the aquifer, and uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to show you why that is such uh, a problematic um, decision on their part, and um, and why it could have really serious consequences for the water that about half a million people in central Illinois ingest. So. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Karen Hudson, Kathy Martin, Chris Peterson. Please stick around. It gets even more interesting after the break. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Life is an ocean, streaming alone. 
time to win our hearts all in let's let the fun begin take a dive take a dive take a And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking about concentrated animal feeding operations. Um, you know, you got to talk about it. There are issues all over the state, especially when our clean water is at risk. And as we mentioned before the break, uh, this affects, there's a cable that is scheduled to be put in, uh, and it's in Mason County. Uh, we'll be talking also about a uh, CAFO in Fulton County. We'll be talking about one in Warren County before uh, we let these fine people go. Uh, one of the things I want to show you, we showed, and I'm going to pop this up once again. Here's the, uh, so you have uh, a frame of reference. There's the uh, the map of the uh, the Muhammad Aquifer in East Central Illinois. And the, the, the dark line on the right, all the way over to the right, that's the state line. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and on the squiggly line on the left. So it's bordered by the Illinois River on the west and uh, the state line with Indiana on the east. Now I want to show you something else. And that's the, that's the watershed as well for the Sangamon yes, River. Yes, the, the green area, I believe, is, is the watershed. And yeah. there's, what, 14 or 15 counties uh, that are affected by this. Uh, now, you would think, uh, well, you put a, a, a CAFO above uh, even an aquifer, well, uh, there's probably a lot of dirt uh, between the, uh, and soil uh, strata between the, uh, the, 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 the pond or whatever you have and, uh, and the water itself. Well, except take a look at this. Uh, this is an amazing chart. Uh, if you look, if, uh, if you look to the right, that's, that's East. The, uh, the chart on the left is West and West. You can see all the way over to the left side is the Illinois river. And you can see as rivers do, they carve out valleys, um, and the um, valley is a place where there's very little soil between the aquifer um, and the surface. And it, it, you see that area where it says uh, high recharge. Um, and that, that means that a lot of water is flowing in there. Um, I think, uh, Kathy, I think this is your purview. So do you want to explain this a little bit? Right. This particular hog farm is being proposed in the most shallowest part of the Muhammad Aquifer, which is basically what's illustrated there under the high recharge area. There is nothing but sand between the land surface and the Muhammad, which is also going to be sand. And so anything you put on the surface, just like if you were going to try to pour water over a bucket of sand, it's going to go straight through it, correct? So if we were land applying a million gallons of untreated liquid swine manure wastewater every year on the lands like this, 
there's uh, nothing but the, you know, the crop might utilize the, the nitrogen and the phosphorus, but all the other parts of swine manure wastewater that the plant doesn't use will also travel to the aquifers. This is a problem where we tried to express in our public comments on uh, which I think we're going to be talking about here shortly. Yeah, and I want to yeah. show you some some of the photos. These are photos that are in the area, and you go, oh, yeah, so what? Standing water. Uh, but, uh, uh, Karen, this happens all the time there because the aquifer is so close to the surface, right? It is, and uh, during the last severe flooding that they had, uh, they were forced to raise that road that that site will sit on by two feet. They had to come in and reconstruct the road. So does common sense tell you this is not a good place to put this? There are already thousands of hogs in this county, but this facility, it's time to say, let's take a look at this. And the FSA um, is looking at a loan for this operation. That's the Farm Services Agency. And uh, because of the opposition to this project, they are asking for uh, an environmental assessment. And we weighed in with comments on this. Um, and Kathy helped quite a bit. And we submitted about 34 pages of comments from just the citizens group alone, in addition to individual comments from people all over the community. It's a, it's a problem. It's going to be a problem. Um, when the aquifer gets to a certain height there, the irrigation wells that they use for the vegetables and other crops in the area actually have aquifer water squirting out of their irrigation pipes. That's how much pressure is coming up from the aquifer when it reaches a high level. Yeah, photo. you can see here, photo after photo, uh, you have uh, minor rains and the water sits on top, which tells you how close to the surface uh, the aquifer is. And let's take a look at a map here. If you look in the upper left area, that little grid, the a little patchwork of lines there, that is the town of Peterville. Um, and it's, now I assume the big circle in the center, is that where the CAFO is scheduled to be sited? Um, right where, um, I believe it's right where that arrow is pointing, um, kind of near there, but it's too close to this uh, town. This this town okay. was um, incorporated in the 1800s, and it's too close. Well, uh, all right. Uh, why why is it too close? Well, there's supposed to be a setback from a populated area, and there are more than 10, 10 homes in the Peterville area, Ma many more than ten homes, and we feel that that's that's a wrong application that has in, incorrect information on it and it should should never have been approved in the first place. That's just one of the issues. When we see these applications come through th for these facilities, we go through them with a fine-tooth comb with the individuals in these communities and we find error after error. The nearest home that's inhabited wasn't even counted as a home. The nearest well was was missed. We find so many errors, egregious errors, these are put together by engineers, and we go after these are submitted and find these errors. And you, uh, you mentioned to me when we were talking the other day that some of the agencies, I don't know exactly which, uh, didn't even mention the town of Peterville. Peterville. You guys mentioned it, what, like 50 times in, in your documents, and they didn't mention it once. Which, which agency did not, which agency failed to mention Peterville? Uh, go okay, ahead. Good. Yeah, Kathy. So the US EPA Region 5 was asked to weigh in on the Farm Services Agency environmental assessment 
because the Muhammad Aquifer is a sole source aquifer, which is a very special federal de de designation that's supposed to be protected uh, much more elaborately than just regular aquifers. So the US EPA wrote a five page letter to the Farm Services Agency listing pages of recommendations. Five pages of recommendations. And not once was the name of the town Peterville mentioned. Not once was it mentioned that there are actually uh, almost 50 people that are going to be drinking that shallow Muhammad aquifer. And when the Farm Service Agency incorporated those recommendations into their final environmental assessment and the determination, it's called a FONSI, finding of no significant impact, never once did they mention the town of Peterville and all of those people that will be drinking the water. And we find that absolutely unacceptable. Okay, and this, this is, we're living in bizarro world here because in 20, it was just 2015 that, uh, the Muhammad Aquifer was designated as a sole source aquifer, and the EPA defines a sole source aquifer as one where the aquifer supplies at least 50% of the drinking water for its service area, and there are no reasonably available alternative drinking water sources should the aquifer be become contaminated. And this is what we're talking about, the possibility that it would be contaminated. Let me also add that, um, uh, and, and let me find this here. Uh, yes, uh, just in uh, this year, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed SB 2515, creating the Muhammad Aquifer Council. I'm sorry, I think that was in 2018. Uh, its purpose is to help protect... Yeah, 2018. 2018. Uh, but that's on top of the EPA's Muhammad Aquifer Protection Task Force. So if we've got these task force and it's been declared a sole source aquifer, why are you not being protected by the agencies that should be protecting you? That's the best question and we sent a 34-page scathing review of the EPA's recommendations, mainly because 90% of the recommendations basically said, oh, just follow state law, that'll protect the groundwater. But we're not just asking, this isn't just a, a hog farm over groundwater that might be you know, 200 feet below surface with intervening layers of clay or shale or what have you that would hope to protect the aquifer. This is sand over sand. And so we were expecting something a little bit more robust. Well, about 10% of the recommendations were a little bit robust, asking for things that go beyond state law. However, none of those particular recommendations were tied to a legally enforceable document. And we all know that the only way you're going to get somebody to do something is make them do it through a permit that could be enforced, that could have violations, that could have a, you know some sort of legal action, and that was not included in the EPA's recommendations. Therefore, it's basically meaningless, right? And then some of their their uh, suggested recommendations were just um, basically not realistic at all, that just wouldn't happen, even though they're nice ideas. So what, what we were very disappointed in was that here's a sole source aquifer, which by the way, the, the listening audience needs to know, it takes a long time to propose a particular aquifer to be categorized as sole source aquifer. There are studies that are done. 
it's it's not something that happens overnight. So the the state of Illinois went through a lot of effort to get this designation. And what the the general public expects in return is some sort of additional protection. So what we're seeing here in a snapshot is there is no additional protection. There is no legally enforcement docu document. So what happens in the rest of the Muhammad Aquifer, which stretches across the state, every time that there's something built, how is that, that generates, you know, maybe a liquid waste pollution, how is this aquifer actually being protected and who's doing the, the protecting? Uh, in our yeah. case, we, we say no one, except the public who is banging on the door saying, why aren't you doing your job? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I want to get to uh, some of the, uh, the agencies involved. Okay. This, well, uh, and, this and, and if we can back up just a second and maybe we're going to get to this, but the discussion that we've had or, or what we've talked about a few times that the state of Illinois doesn't even necessarily know where all these CAFOs are. So that makes it even harder. To well, yeah, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, I, I, while we're here on the, the subject of the, the FSA and so folks might not know what that is. Um, the far the CAFO applied for a beginner farmer loan through the USDA direct and guaranteed F farm service agency or FSA loan program. Now they want to construct a 2,400 head swine CAFO. The FSA must consider the potential impact on local water sources and ecology with an environmental review. And this is, this has to be in accordance with the national Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, N-E-P-A, which was passed by Nixon in 1970, uh, the National Historic Preservation Act, the NHPA, and the Endangered Species Act. Is there any indication that these are being followed? Well, <clears throat> we have concerns. There's a threatened species there called the chorus frog. It's not, it's been on the list to be, uh, determined to be an endangered species, but this chorus frog uh, emerges in the last few weeks of February through the first several weeks of March. And there's been other projects in that county that have been, that have been mitigated due to the presence of the chorus frog. And you have to actually go out during that time of year to actually know exactly where they're at. And we, uh, the, the county board person in Mason County that we are working with, um, filed for a, what's called an echo cat study. It's a more in-depth study of this threatened species. And that has not been determined yet. And we feel that things need to slow down on this entire uh, FSA loan, because the more we look at it, the more problems we are finding for protocol that was followed, as well as things that they overlooked on, on their determination. And you can see in this and map, this is where the chorus frog uh, habitats are located in Mason County, uh, some very near where the proposed CAFO is and obviously uh, uh, putting uh, hog manure into their habitat is probably not a great idea. Um, I, Kathy, were you going to jump in with something? Right. So a lot of these photos that are images that you're showing uh, came from our public comments so that people in the audience know this is what we submitted to the Farm Services Agency. We were very detailed in, in pointing out these issues and uh, all of our concerns were basically ignored. All right, let's. Uh, that is that situation. So that's Mason County. All right, we also have a situation 
right over the Illinois River in Fulton County, and that's um, and 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 I think you guys might um, appreciate it if I can find this really quickly. Uh, what I called it on my blog post was "Twin Cafos for Twin Brothers," and it sounds like the title of a really bad sitcom. Um, uh, but this is not uh, a funny business at all. Um, it's, it's twin brothers who are putting up dueling CAFOs on the same property, but they're getting away with it because they're calling them separate, even though basically it's going to be the same operation. Uh, how is it that they can get away with that, Karen? You know, Mike, you said today was Halloween. That's one of the tricks <laughs> or loopholes in the Illinois law. Yeah. I've got a whole bag of tricks here. I, don't, I wish we had about four hours, but what they have done in so many situations in the state is they can put up more than one operation adjoining each other if there's a different name on each barn. Now, there's going to be almost 5,000 hogs there. Um, each building is housing under 2,500 hogs. And in Illinois, by the Livestock Management Facilities Act, if a facility is over 2,500, 55 pound or over hogs, uh, an automatic or a, a public hearing can take place at the county board level. It's all non-binding, yet the public still gets to weigh in and ask questions about the impacts of the facility. So they come in right under the threshold. There's no public hearing, and then they can double them up or even triple them up. Once those are in, those facilities can expand every two years up to 50% of their fixed capital costs. So once there's a foot in the door, they can expand as big as it wants. Yeah, well, that's part of the uh, Livestock Management Facilities Act in the state of Illinois, a very, very flawed law, which which is now 20 years, more than 20 years old, needs to be desperately, desperately reworked. Um, uh, Chris Peterson, does this happen in other states or is this peculiar to, uh, to Illinois? Well, um, you know, for, for the audience, uh, the broader view, this is going on across the United States, uh, you know, in the ag states, even some non-ag states, uh, per se, you know, they put hog confinements up in the middle of the desert in Utah for various reasons. We could spend four hours on that one too. Um, but this, I'm, I'm going to use Iowa as an example. And I'll be real brief here. I'm going to throw out some numbers to make people think. Um, growth, growth in Iowa is a free-for-all. Um, permitting oversight uh, regulation operation practices are not overseen as they should be. Uh, once the CAFO is built, uh, the state, the EPC Environmental Commission or, or the, the county health departments can't even get inside of these confinements to count the pigs and see if they're within uh, regulatory compliance. On and Chris, and Chris, I'm showing a map of uh, Iowa. Look at the, the number of facilities in the state of Iowa. How many are there? Thousands. Um, the Des Moines Register a few years ago found 600 that weren't even on this map. And this map is four years old. So you know, add 30% more because this growth is, yeah. is crazy. It's it's totally out of hand right now. And the, the reason is our government, 
um, which is supposed to watch out for the citizens, whether rural or urban or whatever, uh, is not doing their job. Um, as an example, 99% of, of the permits in Iowa are approved for these things. And if it only takes a 50% passing grade, and if you flunk, uh, state government, the DNR and the EPC uh, will help uh, the, the entity uh, get enough points to pass, you know, achieve that 50%. So th this is going on in Iowa. And out of all this, Iowa is 49th, 50th, you know, the discussion is there. We're at the bottom in, in water quality. And this has all happened thanks to the industry and, and our government, our elected officials. 90% uh, plus of the independent traditional pig farmers have been ran out of business, either quit or went bankruptcy or, or just quit raising pigs. And this, this has to change in, with the thought of uh, neighborhoods, uh, human health, the antibiotics issues, the animal welfare issues. I wouldn't think of treating a pig the way they do. And I guess my, my thought is, Help us save the family farm. Help us do agriculture right. Uh, we were good enough to feed this country for hundreds of years until this industry come along a few decades ago. Uh, you bring up some really good points, and one of them uh, alludes to the what Peggy brought up earlier. Uh, one thing you said, Chris, is that uh, the uh, Department of Agriculture in Iowa pretty much approves everything. As far as we know in Illinois, Karen, you're the one who told me this. Uh, the Department of Agriculture in Illinois has never turned down a CAFO. At least you can't find any example of that or, or instance. Um, right. To the best of your knowledge, they may withdraw if, if there's a problem, but no one has never been turned down to the best of our knowledge. Mm -hmm. And getting back to what Peggy talked about, about where these facilities are, um, the National Resources Defense Council put out a report in 2019. They looked at all the, all the CAFOs they could find nationwide. And out of the 17,000 that they think are there, they only had, a, they only have, a, they have such a lack of data, uh, for more than about 17,000 unaccounted for. More, about half of those were unaccounted for. And now we have that problem in Illinois, in Iowa. Um, in Illinois, the Illinois Coalition for Clean Air and Water, we filed a de-delegation petition, which gives us right as citizens under the Clean Water Act to force the Illinois EPA to enforce the Clean Water Act. We appealed that to the federal EPA in 2008. Uh, two years went by, and um, the federal EPA gave Illinois EPA a failing grade um, because they are not permitting permitting these facilities properly. There's no complete inventory of where these are at. Um, and they're basically sitting on their hands. I know that they've had quite a few people retire without being replaced. So they have a problem with personnel issues there. Um, what's the problem? People are there, there. There's less people at the EPA to look at these facilities and more of these facilities are going in every month, every week, every year. And, um, and that's, that, a, yeah. a, 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 that's a difference between the, the, uh, U.S. EPA and the Illinois EPA too. These are two different departments, and they behave differently. 
Um, and uh, uh, the, the federal EPA gave them a work plan, and that work plan has still not finished, and it's been since 2011. All right, um, or so. All right, wow. yeah. I want to get to some remedies for this real quick, but just before we do, uh, give me like one minute, Karen, um, uh, about the 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 twin guys who <laughs> twin capos for twin brothers. Uh, they set up shop in another county, but you guys did a FOIA on them, Freedom of Information Act, and you discovered some really weird things about their operation in Warren County. What what did you find? Yeah, the the group that we're working with in Fulton County, um, the concerned citizens of Fulton County, uh, did some FOIAing. We we assisted them, and you know, there's two two buildings there, just like they plan to put in Fulton County. And we looked at the health department FOIA and there's no septic system for the workers. And yet we have reports that there are showers there and there are washing machines there. Where is this waste from humans being taken, the humans that work at this site? Um, when I spoke with Illinois EPA, the side comment is, we know where they're putting the waste. It's going into the pits. When I talked to Chris Peterson in Iowa, he said, Karen, it's not just Illinois' problem. That's happening elsewhere, too. So they wanted to look at the track record of this operation in, other, in the other county, which is nearby. Uh, Prairie City is the closest uh, municipality to, this, to these twin barns, and uh, the, the odor issues are terrible for that. Now they are thinking of even putting uh, two or one or two on the other side of Prairie City, in McDonough County. So unbelievable. So, so, so Chris, you've seen this before too. Yeah. You know, like I said, it's a free for all. And five, six years ago, two of us, Diane Rosenberg and I, we co-founded the Iowa Alliance for Responsible Agriculture. And it's it's a group of groups and it's alliance. Uh, We have 30, approximately 35 groups from across the state organized and we are fighting against this industry. And our main intent, our main purpose right now is to get a building moratorium on factory farms. We need to stop the polluting. We need to stop the bleeding of family farms. And we gain more and more support down in the Iowa State House every year. So it's gonna happen sooner or later. And the industry pretty nervous about a lot of these things. Um yeah. I it doesn't seem like it. They seem like uh it, it, you know if you read uh, uh Danielle Diamond who used to be part of S rap and she did a report that I I reference uh in my yeah, blog. She's been on the show a couple times. Right. And she talks about the bullying the bullying tactics of these, I mean, you know, hogheads found on front porches, uh, that, that kind of thing. I mean, it sounds like the Godfather. Well, they, they want to get them all in before Armageddon, before they can't build them anymore. <laughs> that, that's the purpose of all this building boom, so Mike, bullying, everything else. In December, uh, we're having a special, uh, webinar called SRAP live. And I'm going to be moderating a panel of people who have experienced uh, these roadblocks, bullying, threats, that type of thing on my panel discussion. And we'll be giving you more information about that. That's December 2nd and 3rd. But um, getting back to the Warren County, guess what? 
uh, new septic system has been applied for after it was revealed that there was no septic system there since 2015. Well, yeah, well, it means they're going to get off with it because they'll put in the septic system and they'll say, hey, we've got a septic system now. So, I mean, what about the five years, six years when they didn't have it? There are no fines for that? There's nothing? All right, we, we're That's we're out of time, but we need to go through this very quickly. Uh, I'll add, I'll tack on a couple of minutes. We'll blow past our our break time and go into the next hour real quick, though. Uh, these are some suggestions that you have for stopping hog CAFOs and other CAFOs because it's not just hogs; it's chickens, it's cattle. Um, but uh, the, the the big ones uh, in uh, Illinois and uh, Iowa uh, and and a lot of you know North Carolina. Uh, our, our hog Wisconsin. farm. Wisconsin. Um, yep. All right. And you suggest these uh, recommendations require all concentrated animal feeding operations to register with the Illinois EPA. So the agency actually has an accurate location database maintained. I That just blows me away. They don't even have to register with the IEPA. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, my goodness. They want to be called a legitimate business, but that's not legitimate to me. Okay. Second, require all large CAFOs to obtain operating permits from the IP, EPA to prevent pollution. Um, my The top of my head is coming off right now. Next, close the expansion loophole under Illinois Livestock Facility Siting. By the way, the, uh, the Livestock Management Facility Act needs to be – you guys – have got to get to Governor Pritzker that the, the IDOA, the Illinois Department of Agriculture. That law is is a catastrophe. It is a catastrophe in Illinois, um, and this is uh, an action item. If you want folks watching this, you write to Governor Pritzker and say the LMFA needs to be redone. It needs to be refigured, rethought. Uh, anyway, uh, under that, you can start a small CAFO. And then start adding animals in the future without any, you know, nobody cares. You just, just put, bring it as many. So you get it under the wire and then you just start add and add and add to the CAFO. Um, allow county boards to convene meaningful hearings and issue binding recommendations to the IDOA on the siting and construction of new large scale livestock confinement operations. This is to say our county boards have no power. Cities have no power. Villages and towns have no power. They can do uh, recommendations. Right. No standing at all. And the IDOA goes, that's nice. We're going to put in the CAFO anyway. And as we said earlier, the IDOA has never seen a CAFO it didn't like. Um, Give adjoining landowners, neighbors, and other citizens uh, to propose new and expanding large-scale livestock confinement operations, the legal standing to call for automatic public hearings on applications and the right to appeal poor siting decisions by the IDOA, create setbacks from existing surface waters and increase setbacks from homes and towns for large facilities, require all livestock facilities to submit waste management plans. Dear God. They don't even have to suggest uh, submit a waste management plan with spill control and a prevention to be approved by IDOA prior to siting, prior to siting, and construction approvals and mandate that those plans be subject to public review and comment as part of the application process. You just listen to those demands and what we do not have in Illinois and Chris, I suspect in Iowa to a great degree, uh, but in Illinois, it's worse than in, in, in some of our neighboring states. 
<laughs> yeah, yes. you know, I, Iowa and Illinois are sister states in this issue, pretty much. Yeah. All right. This is my brother and I. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they have to have waste management plans after they reach a certain size. And uh-huh. a, a, a smaller operation, after 90 days, it will show a plan. We want to see these plans ahead of time. We ICCAW uh, compared ourselves to other states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa. And we've won the race to the bottom. And I sent you that chart, Mike. These other states have some regulation at the county level, some kind of zoning. They require nutrient plans, permits for expansions, which we don't, and construction and operating permits. And they also require permits for smaller operations under 1,000 animal units. You see all these boxes checked by those other states, even though Iowa is drowning in hog waste. Look at Illinois. None of those boxes are checked. So we say we've won the race to the bottom, and I'm not proud to say that. I want All to get right. that changed. Okay. And we do too. Uh, Karen Hudson, Kathy Martin, Chris Peterson, um, always great to have you on. I'm sorry it's uh, under such uh, dire circumstances, but um, uh, good for you for doing the hard work uh, and keeping up the fight. Chris, I wanted to show the photo that you sent me of the hogs uh, suckling at the at mom and i can't find it i have no idea where it went it just sort of disappeared but that's that is i you know i wanted to end with that and say this is what we're trying to get to um and perhaps we will so you guys keep us posted we will we will follow up again thank you all for spending your sunday morning with us we really appreciate it Okay, I, I love the salutes. Okay, uh, it's the Mike Novak <laughs> Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, Peggy and I will talk about a few things when we come back. We hope you stick around. It's difficult to imagine anything more powerful than a severe storm. They can come upon us and have a devastating impact on our trees and homes. Heavy winds can uproot entire trees of any size, especially when the soil has become saturated by abundant rain. They can also cause very large branches to snap and fall. Lightning strikes, winds, snow and ice, all these things can put a valued tree at risk and even compromise the safety of your property. Mother Nature is unpredictable. The best thing you can do is to be prepared. Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. Our Arborist representatives are experts in pre-storm strategies that can reduce the likelihood of storm damage to your trees. When they visit your property, they will inspect, assess, and recommend an appropriate course of action. Pruning can remove dangerous dead branches or target heavy limbs that may pose a threat in high winds. Structural support systems such as high strength cable or bracing rods can make it less likely to fail. Lightning protection systems can protect high value, susceptible, or mature trees and safely conduct strikes to the ground. And based on the location of the tree and its proximity to walkways or structures, Bartlett Tree Experts can also provide safe removal of trees that pose a high risk of failure. Now when a storm does hit, we can work long and hard to help remediate tree damage. If our clients' trees and properties are impacted, we understand their needs may be pressing. We meet this urgency by mobilizing our crews immediately upon the passing of the storm. And because we operate in many areas, we are able to bring these teams in quickly from other parts of the country not impacted by severe weather, and we begin working as soon as conditions allow. Once emergency services are complete, we begin the process of cleanup and repair on other storm-damaged trees and shrubs. 
Even if your trees seem unharmed, it's a good idea to have one of our arbors perform a more detailed inspection. Sometimes critical damage to a tree can possibly go unnoticed to an untrained eye. So remember, before the storm and after, Bartlett Tree Experts is here to help. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn, serene. Give me all that I can take. Give me stuff that I can break. <laughs> Pull the mic down. Good morning and welcome to the show, to the second part of our show. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm knocking things around here. Where, wait, let's what? Uh, frame. What have you done with our show's host? Where, <laughs> where did Mike Novak wait, go? Wait, let me bring my bat here, my good friend. Welcome to my bat. <laughs> Say hello. Hello, bat. Whoa. Hello, bat. Hello, bat. I can't find can't find the center of this. Uh, here, Hello, everybody, bring out your capes, your your Halloween capes, and let your hair down. I brought my owl. That's all. I brought my owl. Oh, that, that doesn't count. Okay. All right, let's put. You I let can't your hear hair you. Down. Yes, it's Mike. Do this. What? All right, I thought I would scare people. Scare people with my. Uh, <laughs> With my my yeah, cape. I don't know if you've done the long hair. I don't know if you've had your hair down on the show yet. Nope, I haven't. I I am letting my hair down on our show. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Wait a second. Wait a second. All right. Wait a second. Before I've... we lose our audience. <laughs> what? No, this is this is going to bring it back. Okay. Here here we are. Alive, it's alive. It's alive! Okay. I've got the other one, too. Yeah. It's alive! 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 Here we are. <laughs> okay, so this is what I'm going to do for the kitties if they come by today. Okay, we'll see if uh, it uh, if it works. Did, where's your did Legata? What did Legata take off when she saw the cape? Uh oh, she was gone long ago. Uh, she's like, <laughs> I'm not going to deal with this. You know, I, I'm going to have to get this cut at some point, uh, or not. Why? I don't know what. Why? Uh, okay, uh, and I and I just remembered to turn on the uh, the chat. I haven't had it on, so I have no idea whether anybody's saying anything at all. Oh yeah, there. there's been a lot of conversation going back and forth. Um, good because I don't have any of it here. <laughs> so, 
Uh, there we go. Uh, we should probably start with uh, the wrap-up uh, to last week's show. We, we, we mentioned it at the top of the program, and as we know, the uh, Belbo Prairie has been spared till March 1st. For now. Yeah. Woohoo. Woohoo. Um, well, and, and there's there's been some interesting discussion on the on the um Save Bellbow Prairie list too about being out there tomorrow when bulldozers were scheduled to be there. Because just they, to make sure there's been yeah, no miscommunication. That's uh, wow. See, here's here's the thing. Uh and and uh Carrie Lee's been on our show a couple of times, who is the executive director of the Natural Land Institute uh, had a, uh, a news conference the other day and uh, she's been interviewed in various places. And the, the story, uh, Patty Wetley's been great on this uh, at uh, WTTW uh, in writing. And Cheryl about- DeVore on the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, but you know, I, and, and good for Cheryl DeVore to finally get the Tribune involved in this, but they came late to the party. Um, uh, but TTW has been on top of this from the very beginning. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, no, and I love Cheryl. She does great work, but in the article that came out, I guess, yesterday in TTW or Friday, uh, there are some things that are really revealing, uh, that, uh, about what's going on. Um, Carrie Lee said, uh, and the question, uh, um, Patty Wetley writes, the question on the mind of a lot of people throughout the campaign to save Belbull Prairie has been, how did things come to this? How is it that no one was aware the prairie was in jeopardy until August when bulldozers mm-hmm. were at the gate? And Lee says, our feeling is that we were actively misled. We do feel that we were blindsided. Um, and the Natural Institute, Natural Land Institute, you have to know, it's been a longtime steward. You'd think you'd let the stewards know that, yeah. hey, we're going to bulldoze this uh, come November 1st. Um, and volunteers were on site in July for a scheduled work day. No well, one from the airport ever said a word about and, the cargo expansion. And it wasn't even supposed to be 1st. It was because the bee was spotted. Right. It was going to happen sooner. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And and if if the rusty patch bumblebee, you know, who whoever found that uh, should get a medal, because that's the only thing that saved the prairie. And mm-hmm. as uh, Carrie Lee goes on to say, that the regulatory environment that we have is no longer functioning to respond in the way that it needs to, um, because agencies like the Federal Aviation Authority the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the Illinois Department of Transportation, and the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, as well as local government officials, were all participating in or being kept abreast of environmental assessments being conducted on the site in advance of the expansion as far back as 2018, but not the environmentalists, not the people who are actually taking care of the prairie. Now, you know, if we go back to the story we just did, which is looking at uh, the CAFOs in Illinois and the idea that the IEPA, the EPA, the I, 
DOA, uh, the government agencies are they all are. like, they're all lined up, it seems, like on the side of the industry at the expense of citizens. The, the, the very agencies that are, you know, you look at all of these agencies, the very agencies that are supposed to protect us are the ones working to destroy our environment. Okay, can we put it that way? That they don't care. They don't there and 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 I will draw a line, another straight line, to places like the city of Chicago. The idea that there is no transparency, and when you have no transparency, these things happen. These bad things, well, bad look things. At the, look at the streetlight replacement. Same thing. Yep. So it's just stunning. So now. Uh, the demands being made by uh, the uh, Natural Land Institute and others is we want a seat at the table. But guess what? The airport authority is not saying that at all. They're kind. Of, I can see what's going to happen here. They're going to move on. They're going to say, "Well, we made some more decisions." You know, it's going to be a, a fiat here. They're going to say, "Yeah, well, you know, whatever they decide." They're going to save that little little stretch you know instead yeah. and and my buddy uh our buddy now from the show a uh, friend of the show uh domenico d'alessandro wrote to me the other day uh to say you know uh i'm afraid that they're not going to think uh expansively you know and creatively and and make something really wonderful which is now a possibility hey i said that about uh yeah. lincoln yards in Chicago, there was an opportunity in Chicago to create an urban natural area. And what did they opt for? Concrete and steel, because the contracts were signed and, you know, they were ready to go. And and the hell with the rest we of you. went to those public hearings. and, and Boy, that was a done deal from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were there. We covered that. And you could tell. You, you just know that the, the, the back room had had lots of smoke, maybe not smoke anymore. Who knows what's in the back room nowadays, now that the cigars well, and cigarettes at, are banned. At, at, yeah, and, and you got to look at what Bell Bowl, what the airport sort of agreed to, but they're still not talking. It's just, at this point, they haven't said they're not putting the road in. No, no, that's the idea. The, trans, the lack of transparency continues. Yeah. yeah. So they out a detention pond. That's all we, they agreed to we so far, do not, from what I've read. We do not know what they're going to do. Nobody knows what they're going to do. This is creepy. This is this is this is disgusting, actually. It's it's pathetic. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. So I the good news is, the good news being that these organizations now have their eyes open. Now they're waiting for you. They know that you're yeah. going to try something little, yeah. little tricky. What else is waiting in the wings? What haven't they seen yet? Yeah. You know, what haven't we? What don't we know about yet? So if they're not at the table, we'll know soon enough, because they're going to have to have discussions long before March first, uh, and mm-hmm. and we'll find out. Uh, and that's you know maybe when the big boys need to step in. I mean, it was interesting that uh, none of the politicians played a role unless they did behind the scenes. You know, you didn't hear anybody, no, none of 
the uh, not the governor, not our senators. Tammy Duckworth was like nowhere to be seen in this. Uh, Dick Durbin was like, "Ooh, please don't uh, get me the involved." The only thing in I this. saw from somebody posted something from Durbin's office, not from him, from his office, saying this was private funding and not the federal funding. That's the only thing I yeah. saw from Durbin's office. It's just remarkable. Just remarkable. Okay. Enough of that, because so, I'll, so, I'll get so, myself so in trouble here. The, I, I posted the link, but go to savebellbowlprairie.org, and that's all the links to join the Facebook group and keep up with it if you're not on the list already. Yeah. yeah. Savebellbowlprairie.org. Okay. Uh, let's, let's, we, we promised uh, various groups that we would tell our, our viewers about their smashes going on in the pumpkin smashes pumpkin going on cycling. in the air and i need to track it down but uh we've got a a, a bunch of them uh, do you have a list in front of you um yeah so i've got some of them here is um kane county recycling coordinator uh jennifer jarlin sent in and squash recycling events saturday 11 6 so a lot of these are next weekend um Kane County, in conjunction with Pushing the Envelope Farm and Northern Illinois Food Bank, has free pumpkin recycling in Geneva on Saturday, November 6th from 9 to 12. Um, they'll take pumpkins, carved or whole, decorative squash and gourds, cornstalks, hay bales, and any other organic materials um, for recycling. Uh, Elgin and St. Charles are also holding pumpkin composting events. Yep. And... Uh... Uh, our friend Sarah Batka from Illinois Extension, of course, uh, sent us um, information about, and these are all taking place on November 6th, uh, most of them mm-hmm. in the morning. Uh, so, for instance, the ones in, uh, in Chicago are 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and the pumpkins, and the idea is bring your pumpkin, uh, bring your jack-o'-lantern, uh, if you don't, please don't throw it in the garbage because they're big and they can be recycled. They can be composted. I actually, <laughs> I did a really dumb thing. I carved a pumpkin and then I brought it in and we were having a, a fruit fly issue here in the house. So I put it in a, <laughs> in a, in a sack cause I didn't want the fruit flies to get to it. And then I forgot it was there Uh-oh. and then I pulled it out and it was nasty. And so that's it all was composting itself. It was composting. It's, it's already in my compost pile. So I put that one <laughs> in the compost pile. So you don't get to see my carved pumpkin. Although I did, I took a photo. I should have sent myself a photo to, to post it here. Uh, anyway, in Chicago, plant Chicago is having a smash next week. Uh, they're at 4459 South Marshfield Avenue, uh, Gary Comer youth center, 7200 South Ingleside Avenue. Chicago Vocational Academy High School, we've been there, uh, at 2100 East 87th. Uh, Lakeview High School, 4015 North Ashland. And uh, Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences, 3857 West 11th. And they, on the flyer here, what is a pumpkin smash? Well, it's a community effort to keep pumpkins out of our landfills. And you just bring your pumpkin. And, of course, I miss... Uh, oh, and I wanted to mention this, and we'll see again today uh, the uh, uh, information, the uh, commercial um, about the uh, Green Living Expo up at McHenry County mm-hmm. College. I missed, they had bowling 
for pumpkins. It was bowling for pumpkins. I mean, it was they had pins set up, and you could bowl your pumpkin and knock over pins. If you go to our Facebook page, you can find that video. That's up there. It's oh yeah, have you people, bowling? Have people yeah search for that through the through four or five years yeah. ago? Who cares? Well, I was going to say if you go to scarestorg slash pumpkins, they have a list of all the registered sites for the pumpkin smash. Uh, I put the link up. In all of them, including, uh, so. Yep, we, there's a map you can search by zip code. So if they, well, if people registered the event. Okay. Cause for pumpkin smash. Right. Cause there's also one uh, in Edgewater that I'm surprised that the, ex, it's, it's probably not uh, associated with extension. Um, and let me, uh, where is that? Well, Here, it, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking at it here. Unfortunately, that link, that link doesn't work. But um, and I, Edgewater I, one is. I'm trying to find the Edgewater. I've got it. But I'm trying to get it open. Yeah, me too. And I, I, I I'm opening the uh, PNG, but it's not opening. There it is. No, that's. The it's going to be from noon to four in the parking lot at 6040 North Clark Street, north Good. of the fire station. All right. Great. Good. And of course, all of these are following COVID guidelines. So, so uh, you know, the Edgewater folks are 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 doing a good. And my friend Nina Newhauser up there, the uh, Edgewater Environmental Coalition, an all volunteer group and partner of the Overhead Project, which is a nonprofit group. So um, they are. I've got their pumpkin smash too. Uh, something else that I, that came across. Do I get to do my little quick, 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 quick yes, plug yes. while you're doing that? Go, go, go. New, hot off the press, number issue, Natural Awakening Chicago. Go to nachicago.com. Speaking of Cheryl DeVore, she has a great article, Discovering Nature in November and all sorts of November hikes. So you can find that in here. Not a good thing to show online uh, up here because it's not yeah. showing too well. And we've got a whole article uh, Carrie Jackson wrote on net zero buildings, creating sustainable communities, including an interview with Tom Bassett Dilly, who we've had on this show as well. Yep. Uh, he just won won a big award at Limelight from the uh, Illinois Green, which is part of the U.S. Green Building Council. Yep. Uh, well, and what so. they call... Green Illinois or something like that now, whatever. Uh, Illinois Green. Illinois Green. Illinois Green. Yeah, and talk about the uh, the, the net zero edition at the uh, Stevenson High School as well in the right. article. So nachicago.com, there is my plug. Oh, get one more <laughs> article. What else is in there? There's, there's got to be something about a good food article that you've got in there. Uh, some great recipes. We have um, some wonderful plant-based recipes as it gets cold this week, as we'll hear from Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick. We have plant-based soup recipes for chilly days, like quick and easy lentil soup. Ah. And uh, And an article about uh, Midwest um, electric vehicle recharging stations. Oh, and by the way. Uh, Wilco Green says Will County will be catapulting pumpkins with Lewis University Saturday, November 6th, 9 to noon. Um, speaking of Rick. And uh, what do you mean speaking of Rick? Or, or National Lewis, I guess. Never mind. Uh, um, uh, and the Naperville Pumpkin Smash, somebody posted November 6th, 9 a.m. to noon. 
Jan did that. Thank you, Jan. Mm-hmm. So if you got any other pumpkin smashes here, uh, do let us know, uh, and and we'll get the the word out. All right. Uh, before we break, something very interesting came across my desk this week, um, and that is the potential potential signs of hope for the Western monarch butterfly. This is interesting. Uh, Migratory Western monarchs are being reported at their overwintering sites in coastal California in greater numbers than last year, which is not saying much because they were almost down to nothing last year, With, with hundreds at some sites and thousands at others giving hope for the struggling populations. What did I do with, uh, uh, Dracula doesn't have to wear glasses, but I do. Um, <laughs> oh, there you are. There. Oh, there I, where did he go? He's back. Uh, these reports are particularly welcome after the population reached an all-time low, yes, of 1,914 butterflies last year, 1914. This year's count, official count, has not yet begun. That will take place with the help of more than 100 community scientists during the 25th annual Western Monarch Thanksgiving count, beginning November 13th. Uh, yet, uh, Xerxes, this is in the Xerxes Society report, yet um, these early signs signal the possibility of a rebound in numbers at least Compared to last year's historic low, on October 16th of this year, uh, more than 1,300 monarchs were counted at the Pacific Grove overwintering site. This site did not have a single monarch butterfly during last year's count. Pismo State Beach Monarch Butterfly Grove and an adjacent site tallied roughly 8,000 monarchs on October 20th. Last year, these sites hosted less than 300. Additional smaller estimates and observations from volunteers and the public have started to pour in from the Bay Area and Santa Cruz, Monterey, Big Sur, Ventura, Los Angeles, and elsewhere, with numbers ranging from a few to dozens to hundreds of monarchs. Altogether, there appear to be over 10,000 monarchs easily accounted for at the overwintering sites. So that's that's a really, really, really good sign. Um, and, and it makes me wonder, and maybe this is something, well, Rick wouldn't know, but um, it makes me wonder with the rains, the crazy winds and rains they had there uh, in the last week or so, how that affected the monarchs. Mm. You know, if they're yeah. hunkered down, can they hang on to those trees during all of that? I have no idea. Uh, so... Okay, uh, we need to get we to... We should have uh, somebody on from the Xerxes Society soon. I think that would be a good... Wait, idea. Idea. Oh. A good idea. I cannot hear myself through this. Okay, let's bring in meteorologist Rick <laughs> Dimio. He will be Wait, don't we, have, don't we have a spot break? Yes. Yes, we bring <laughs> him in after the spot break, which comes up right <laughs> now. Please stick around. Whoa! <laughs>
You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. The pandemic has tested all of us as we've learned to live, work, and interact differently. Whether or not you've gotten sick, we must strengthen our immunity and our resolve to defeat COVID. The COVID vaccines offer a safe and effective way to keep you, your family, and your colleagues safe. So please, ask the questions. Follow the science. Get vaccinated. So that's it. I thought there was more. I thought I was hoping there would be one more because I thought I'm, that was just that was our Halloween reintro. Uh, it was dark, and then ooh, I nearly pulled the the mixer off. It's, it's <laughs> I I tried to walk away with my headsets on. That did not happen. That was not a good idea. That didn't work. Come it pulled it pulled yeah. the mixer off of its platform there. Okay. Okay, you know, see, I'm I, I was trying to get some stuff loaded, and there's there's uh, oh now see uh, wait I have to now I have to load you into the uh, the thing because of your issues earlier. Let me pop your picture in there. There we go. So we can pop that up, and now we can bring in this. And let me make sure that Rick's mic is on. It is welcome. Good morning, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good morning. Um... Count Micula. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. Count Micula. Yeah. Wait, uh, I, we yeah. should play this for 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 Rick too because uh, he'll he'll okay. appreciate alive. it. It's alive! It's alive! Nobody oh, like yeah, nobody the, like Gene Wilder. I got that. One of the best movies ever of all time, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mel Brooks did some really weird stuff, but he had like two in a row that were two of the best movies of all time, which oh, yeah. oh, Young yeah. Frankenstein that, that and Blazing Saddles. And Blazing Saddles. Um, yeah, and they and they and they mo- Blazing Saddles most likely cannot be either made today or shown today in a theater near you. No, it's tough. There's yeah. Yeah. That's uh it, I think I think one of my favorite one of my favorite lines in Blazing and um Young Frankenstein is um, after he comes up and you know bangs on the door and mm-hmm. goes what knockers and Terry Terry Gar goes oh thank you doctor <laughs> Could and you... it's just it it's just it's just one thing after another where they're not they're not telling you the joke is you have to figure out the joke and if you got it then your mind is as perverted as his right that's basically how that works well that. That's a pretty simple one. That's 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 a cheap one there. Okay, so yeah, but you know what? But but, but they all work. Igor, not Igor. Right. Yeah. And did did wasn't that hump on the left side the last time? And he goes, not only not only does it doesn't doesn't does he say it was on the right side? He goes, what hump? Well, that yeah, <laughs> what hump? Uh, one of one yeah. of the best. I I say that all the time when I'm driving down the streets, and you miss. Uh, the hump that uh, that catches your car, you know, it's, right. it's all, and, and you go, what hump? 
Um, yeah, never, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Uh, uh, anyway, um, wow. Um, I'm, I'm still loading pictures from you. I've got just about got them done here. And uh, while you're I'm, loading them, while you're loading them, Peg, go ahead and pull up a link I just sent you. Um, it's a webcam from Glasgow, Scotland, where the uh, UN Climate Summit is currently taking place. It's not of the summit itself, but it's of yeah, Glasgow. Yeah, is forecasted. Is that the yeah yeah link? Win, yeah windy dot com does I think it should come up with the with the link right to Glasgow. Yeah, Scotland. I'm seeing an image. Wow, looks like a storm right over Glasgow. Right, but did if you, you did if you, you go to the uh, did you send the link to me too? You, because I might be able to pop that up. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. All and, right, it, and it shows a lot of people um, on the square. It looks like they're uh, beginning some sort of um, I don't know protest or talk or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely looks yeah. like that they're prepared to, to talk to anybody who wants to listen to them. But yeah, um, as Mother Nature likes to do things, uh, there's a big storm, as Peggy were alluding to. Literally, like right over, uh, right all over of the United it. Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm really upset that Queen Elizabeth didn't show up, guys. Aren't you? Um, no, not really. No. <laughs> oh. you, Queen Elizabeth, you didn't want to, You didn't want to see the the wave. The wave. The the what? Oh, it won't let me the URL in there. That's just not good. All right. Uh, what? Oh, the oh. Okay, yeah, I get you. I get you. It's not letting me copy this, which is that doesn't make any sense at all. This uh, because you. Oh well. Oh well. You know this is what oh, we're well. we're dealing. Oh That's well. Three oh well. That means we uh, move on. I think so. I think we're at <laughs> that. That's point. a deep subject. <laughs> well, well, well. Deep oh, subject. Okay. Thank you, Peg. There you go. That was very good, Peggy. And it's Frankenstein, not Frankenstein. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, let me pop up something hey, while hey, I'm. This has jumped on to Count Mikeula, by the way. Count Mikeula, <laughs> I kind of like that. You know, I, I think we got to yeah. get this. Uh, I want to show you this. Count from... Mikeula. Count Mikeula. Uh, show you this from my yard. Uh, this is uh, yeah. for the entire week. I left it up yep. there mm. after the first rain, so we're like at four. Uh, in two tenths, it's probably a little more than that. Uh, I think we had a little extra before I started actually keeping track of this, but uh, at least four and two tenths inches of rain in my backyard this week. Yeah, and and the great thing about it is the nights are longer, uh, the days are cooler, there's less evaporation. So notice how things have gotten so green in the last month. Yeah. Uh, and, and things are still green, even though we're getting some colors now. Um, we oh, had yeah. Yeah, we, we we got some from our guest uh, uh, Karen Hudson, who is who is in, who is in Michigan right now, and she uh, went out on her birthday yesterday, and they were looking. It was sunny and beautiful in certain places, or yeah. maybe it was the day before. Yeah, what, what part of Michigan? That's, uh, really, that's, West, a big, that's a big. Yeah, western part. Southwest. She's, she's yeah. She's Southwest. Well, Kind of Western, actually. She's more in the uh, uh, Manistee area. So uh, yeah. she had some beautiful... A little uh, further north. Yeah. North of Muskegon. Yeah. So um, let's start. I don't have... Okay. Let. Oh, I know what we can start with, because this is very cool that you sent us 
uh, and it is how the length of the growing season has increased over most of the U.S. That's a very interesting map. Maybe you can go for uh, yeah. And this that. is this is data from uh, Mark Carroll, um, who is a meteorologist now working with um, the WGN group. But Mark Carroll was a longtime um, partner with Tom Piazza at uh, Weather Command. Uh, they were part of a group of, and still part of a group of meteorologists who forecast um, at up near, I believe it's somewhere in Pewaukee or Wheeling, up near Pewaukee Airport. Um, anyway, Mark left that that team and is now with the skilling team. And he does some really great climate analysis because sometimes if you just talk about the normal numbers all the time, you know, rain, snow, drought, things like that, it really doesn't have much of an impact unless you uh, look at the trends of climate um, and also um, how to put it into perspective from a standpoint of impacts. So clearly our growing season has lengthened. Uh, That's one of the positive Mm -hmm. things of a warming climate. Uh, freezes have gotten later, um, even though we still, you know, get every once in a while some early freezes, but the trends have been later without a doubt. So uh, this day, this is actually about two years old, but it hasn't really changed much. Even though last two years uh, we were kind of cool in the month of October, uh, the trend has now been for the earliest and the median date and the late date for the first freeze to generally be about five to about seven days later. Um, and that, that's really interesting stuff. Um, the good news for us here in Chicago is even though we're expecting uh, somewhat near freezing temperatures, I still think right along the lakefront and the densely populated urban areas, probably like where you live, Mike, maybe not up by UPEG, uh, we may escape this next freeze. But I think everybody else pretty much by Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, anything outside most likely um, is going to go to kaput which is normal for this time of the year. Well, yeah, November 1st, you would expect something by the time we we get to November. Um, Although uh, I have to tell you, uh, walking down the street the other day, roses in full bloom. um, I've got got raspberries in my back, ripe raspberries in my backyard, which I discovered yesterday. And Kathleen doesn't even know this. If she's listening upstairs, she knows I'm going to pick some of those raspberries today. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, Just, yeah, it, it, I was over on um, Cicero and Melrose last week and walked past uh, someone's house, and there was this beautiful rose bush um, still in full bloom. It almost looked like it was something you would see like in maybe in early June. So the wet weather has helped out. Um, the cool weather has helped out uh, with the lawns, and this is extremely beneficial going into the winter season. The trees, though, I think we can all agree – are lacking color, but in some areas, if you get out into some parts of, you know, forest preserves, especially in a day like today, um, where the sun has that nice, bright, low angle, um, early in the morning or late in the afternoon, you get some pretty vivid, pretty vivid colors. Yeah, there's still, there are still isolated areas where you see uh, nice colors. Uh, but what I yeah. will say about the trees and the, the weather is uh, this is a good, as you said, it's a good setup for the winter because the yeah. roots are going to absorb this moisture, uh, particularly conifers uh, need this going into the winter. Uh, so even if the color is not good, we're not going to see, well, you know, it's, it's interesting with trees because they're so large. 
they can manifest problems months or even years later. It'll be interesting to see what happens given that we had such long dry spells in the summer, but going into the winter as they're going to dormancy, uh, they're, they're absorbing this water. So I'm guessing that we'll have a good spring and that the trees will leaf out rather nicely next year. I'm, at least I'm hoping that. I, you know, not an arborist, but from what I know uh, 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 about uh, how trees uh, react to uh, weather and especially rain in the fall, this is a good sign. Yeah, and, and even though it looks dry for the next five to seven days uh, and cold as we would normally expect, um, the pattern has become quite active. You know, we had one large storm come into... Uh, California last week. Uh, we had that mid-latitude cyclone basically go right over the top of us last Sunday and Monday. A big storm system moved up the East Coast. Um, and it's pretty amazing. I was with a, um, a couple of friends last night from United Airlines. We got together. We kind of do a powwow like every six months or so. Um, and we were talking about how quickly um, the atmospheric river um, out across the Pacific Ocean you know, was able to latch on to some of the dynamics and developed, you know, literally a 944 millibar low. And that was not associated with an ex-typhoon. Uh, so that warm blob of water uh, across the North Pack uh, became very instrumental in producing a phenomenally large area low pressure. And, you know, these are some of the things that when scientists study um, areas of warm water due to a warming climate, you also have to be able to take into account that, even though you're in a drought, when you see that, there's a chance that you can get some very, very heavy rainfall. And you, and you got to be careful about just saying that if, if you're in a dry pattern, you got to stay dry. And that's the, that's the difference between climate change and climate variability. Because if you look at four or five months of dry weather, and then you get two months of rain in one month, if you look at just the end of the year seasonal totals, it didn't, it didn't change too much from the long term. And someone could argue, well, what happened? But when you look at it from a standpoint of climate variability and you go from drought, heat wave, and then heavy rainfall, then you got to worry about the mudslides um, and also um, some of the landslides as well, which we did not have as much of that. And that was a good thing. Uh, but the bottom line is that allows you to teach it on a more broader scale um, so that policymakers can adapt and mitigate. And then you're not just looking at one number like with drought. Uh, there was an excellent write-up by Trent Ford, who's the state of Illinois climatologist. I'll send it to you guys, talking about okay. perspectives on this year's drought and how little impact it had on agriculture due to the timing of the rains. And we've talked about this before, these, quote, million-dollar rains, which if they come at the right time, could actually save a crop. So when you look at the overall numbers this year, we're probably going to end up somewhat near normal rainfall. But if you look at when it occurred, <laughs> you had some really, really dry periods there between June, July, and August. But the fact that we did get rain, quite a bit of it in the month of June, I should say the latter half of June, um, it kind of saved the crops going into the time of the year when they needed it most. So that's why you just don't look at like someone's cholesterol and say, oh, my God, this is what you are. And then that, that person ends up living to 95. There's other things that go on. So, again, when someone just takes like a number like climate change, a rainfall or, or temperature, it makes things way too easy to, to define. And it also makes things way too easy um, for other people 
to offend, if, that, if that's a good word to use at that point, for climate deniers. All right. Well, let's look at some of those uh, maps that you sent us. Here's the seven-day rainfall. Um, yeah. And you can, you can, it's real easy to see where the rain was. Yeah, and, and then we, we finally got the, um, the heavier axis um, a little bit further north. Uh, in fact, um, when you get to the 30-day rainfall, you'll, you go, you'll see that places like Rockford and Waukegan um, actually got more rain than everywhere else. And again, when you look at that, even southern areas of Wisconsin, uh, just northwest Walworth County or northeast Walworth County, Kenosha County, uh, between 8 and 10 inches. And when I was driving uh, northwest yesterday, I was looking at some of the ponds um, and the rivers, and they're all doing really well. And then you go even further south across central Illinois, and you had 10 to 15 inches of rain for the for the month of October. I mean, there are some areas in central Illinois that are going to have record rainfall for the month of October. Now, I don't know um, how they're doing there down there from a standpoint of harvesting their crops. Well, uh, funny you should that. mention that because our buddy Patrick Sketch uh, sent another report to me yesterday. He says... Um, I just heard from my farmer friend they cannot go back in the fields for five days, still too wet. Still, huh? yeah. About four to 20-hour days to complete harvest. This coming Tuesday, wow. Wednesday, and Thursday morning, lows will be about 28 for him. Very yeah. concerned about freeze damage to unharvested crop if below 32, um, uh, if, if that remains for more than a couple of hours. So that's our report from Pat Sketch. Yeah, and and that that's that's a, that's a really great piece of information because not only do they have to worry about rain, but as you'll show with the next few maps, um, quite a bit of cold as well. Well, I'm going to try to get that, but let's look at the in, in the past um, uh, what we were looking at in the past 30 days. Yeah, temperature wise. So this shows you um, how warm we've been from a standpoint of overnight lows. Uh, this is a trend that we've seen. Uh, in August, this is a trend that we've seen in September. This is a trend that we've seen in October. Um, and when you have that area of pink where you're 8 to 10 degrees, if not 10 plus above normal uh, for an overnight low, even if you're 5 degrees above normal during the day, uh, your surplus or during the afternoon for maximum temperature, your surplus for the day is about 7.5 inches. This is also one of the reasons why the lakes um, are at near record warmth. For this late in the season. Now, granted, uh, we have cooled off quite a bit the last couple of days, mainly due to the fact that it's been raining. Uh, but even last week, Southern Lake Michigan buoy was showing about 60. I think it's now down to about 57. And I don't know if Peg has some updated 50, information. 57.2 right now at the Wilmette buoy. Yeah. And, and again, um, that's about seven degrees above normal from where we should be right now. And what's going to be really interesting is when this next cold air mass comes down, um, is it going to be enough to produce not lake effect rain, uh, but lake effect snow? It doesn't have that type of low-level flow. It looks like it's too much from the northwest, but there's going to be a lot of clouds, uh, and there's definitely going to be some lake effect rain showers uh, and even some snow showers um, probably by probably by Monday night or Tuesday uh, up across yeah. Lake Superior into a northern northern part of lower Michigan. So that was average minimum temperature departure from mean. Here is average maximum temperature. Yeah, uh, so what so what this shows you here is that we were running about five to six degrees above normal 
for an afternoon high. Uh, but when you can get that warm at night, that shows you um, either A, you had a lot of humidity in the air, or B, you had a lot of cloud cover, or C, you had a lot of rain. And we basically had all three. Um, and then you go all the way north, Mike, to uh, International Falls, and you can see there's actually a pocket of plus 10. And so International Falls into the, the mm -hmm. Superior, Wisconsin area, all the way through the northern part of Michigan, uh, and even Ohio, that's a large area of temperatures about six to eight degrees above, above normal. So this wasn't a small area. This was a large area. And the scary thing about this is this was not due to increased tropical storm or hurricane activity um, in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic, as we sometimes see that. This was basically the, the warm blob of water over the North Pacific Ocean pushing some of these systems further inland and then taking the moisture from the Gulf and pulling it northward. So we're now seem to be getting some of this abnormal warming from not only the Gulf and the Atlantic, uh, but also the Pacific Ocean as well. Yeah, and I want to. You mentioned the uh, the drought map here, and that has changed a, a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. But again, um, even though parts of Northern Lake, parts of McHenry County, uh, are in severe drought, you know yeah. these numbers can sometimes be deceiving because this is again though the amount of rain that's fallen over a long period of time. So while large um, reservoirs of water, if you want to call it that, like a lake or a riverbed or a watershed might be less than average for the amount of liquid that they have. Uh, the ground has certainly soaked it up. And when you get four to five inches of rain this time of the year, um, it stays in the ground a lot longer than if you get it in like the middle of June, June or July. This is much less evaporation. Um, so this has actually been, and I'll, and I'll share that report with you because I think the uh, Illinois State climatology, Climatologist does a really good job of, of explaining, even though some of these areas have uh, severe drought conditions for a period of time or extreme drought, um, uh, it, it, it didn't have the impact as you would normally see. All right. Uh, and for our coming temps here, uh, you can't actually read the numbers very well, but just looking at the blue gives you an idea of what we're going to experience in the next few days. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the minimum temperature map for tomorrow morning, uh, which shows uh, a low of 29 at Rockford, a low of 32 at uh, Aurora, a low of 32 at Kankakee, a low of 32 um, out in Ottawa. Um, anywhere where you see that kind of lighter blue, that's temperatures generally below 30. So that's one of the reasons why there's a freeze warning um, in effect for areas basically outside of the urban areas of Cook County. So Northwest Cook County uh, could actually see temperatures, you know, generally right at 30 degrees. And then even places, you know, to the south and west, we sometimes talk about areas always to the west and northwest of the city, but even to the south and southwest, you can get pretty darn cold. So that's tomorrow morning's low temperature. And then you look at it encroach upon the air. It just gets larger as we go on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and this definitely shows that this is just not a one-day event. This is a two-day, if not a three-day event. Um, so the front is actually moving through right now, uh, but it's more like a Pacific um, cold front where you get some stratocumulus clouds coming in because uh, there's you know still some decent moisture in it. Uh, but on top of that, 
um, there's going to be a fair amount of wind. So I know you don't have it on there, but the wind chill uh, map, which I did include, literally shows the wind chills probably in the low to mid-20s. So if you've been getting away walking your dog or being outside without hat, scarf, or gloves. Without a coat. Uh, yeah, that, that may change. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Are you coat, talking think, about so. wind chills right now or tomorrow or when? No, no, Monday, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning. They're going to be in the mid-20s. And, and look at this. Okay, look at the map for Tuesday, and then look what happens on Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, you can see it goes all the way you know, further south and temperatures are now down in the mid twenties. Uh, so this is, so we'll probably have a freeze warning uh, for the areas north and west of the city. I think we already have one issued by the weather service yeah. for tonight. Yeah, I saw that um, show up on my phone this morning. Yeah. Yep. And then they'll most likely be uh, probably a hard freeze, which is when temperatures go down below 28 degrees. But this is basically going to take care of the growing season pretty much in all the areas uh, that have been, you know, quite quite a bit on the surplus side. Literally, we're going from like almost late September weather to like the middle of November weather in a matter of five days. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty cool matter stuff. of and on hours. Top of that, yeah, in a matter of hours. Uh, but this is this is going to be a lot of wind with this. This is going to be one of those where you're like walking outside going, "Yikes!" Um, things have changed very quickly. And and uh, this is what Pat. Sketch was referring to if you look at central illinois and some what right. the farmers will right. be dealing with in the next couple of days uh, you know what what's really cool on this map you can also see the impact of the warmer uh lake water so if you look at like northern indiana um southwest lower michigan you can see that area has temperatures that may not get below 45 degrees because the lake as peg mentioned is 57 so not will only will there be warming of the lake, and you can see that also over into uh, Ohio and northwest Pennsylvania, uh, but there's probably going to be a fair amount of clouds and also lake effect snow. If the winds become a little bit more northerly, which I think they will do on Wednesday, uh, we'll probably see a little bit more of a fetch coming in off the lake. Two things will happen. Uh, temperatures downtown won't be as cold because you'll have a lake effect warming, uh, but we'll also have clouds and also probably lake effect sprinkles i don't think it's cold enough for lake effects no yeah all right well let's you were talking about the uh, these maps uh so this is that tells us why we're going to have cooler temps yeah and and this first i mean six to ten days you know covers a five-day period but this is really more so for like day six seven and eight um once you get into day uh, day nine and ten uh it actually warms up uh, a bit so we'll have a, a little spike of warmer weather around here um it looks like next i think next saturday uh and sunday next weekend actually looks warmer than this weekend so even though we made it into like the upper 50s yesterday we'll probably be mid 50s today uh, there's a pretty good chance we may take a run back at 60 to 65 wow uh for week yeah yeah but only briefly only for uh only in that that sunday monday tuesday period because i think next next correct me if i'm wrong i'm just looking at my calendar real quickly here um next uh yeah next sunday is the seventh so that'd be more so like um the seventh eighth and ninth uh we'll see actually even saturday so really like the sixth seventh eighth and ninth uh we'll see a nice three or four day warm-up and it's really interesting um you know because halloween is on a sunday this year it pushes the the you know the changeover uh, back to standard time, 
um, a week later. So by the time we get to Friday and Saturday of this week, this coming week, uh, sunrise is going to be at almost 7.30 in the morning. That's, I, I got I, I to double check on that, but that might be the latest sunrise we have all year. Because even, even like the first or second day of winter, um, I think sunrise is, not, is, is about like 7.18 or 7.19. So it's actually going to be darker at the end of this week. I think that it actually is going to be on the 24th or 21st to 24th of December. Yeah. All right. Before we let you go, this is awfully yeah. cool. And you sent this, the yeah. Aurora forecast. Yeah, we actually, you know, as as weather nerds, we actually walked out on the back deck of my friend's uh, home in Aurora. Aurora. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the map there <clears throat> of Schaumburg last night, uh, looking for it. Couldn't see anything. Probably too much light pollution, or it just didn't get you know far enough south. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is this is actually the forecast for today. Uh, but the forecast for yesterday wasn't much different. In fact, that area of green was a little bit further south. And if you want, Mike, you can share that link um, with your listeners. But the link is literally spaceweather.com. And it's a great link that shows you, you know, the, the extent of the aurora forecast, uh, the type of um, coronal mass ejection. I think it was like a, a level three, which was pretty good. Um, and then the pictures um, bear it out that in some areas of the world, this is up in Iceland, it looked pretty darn good, wow. uh, and also up in um, Finland. I think the la- the next yeah, one. Yeah, I, I don't have that photo. I, I grabbed the Iceland one, but I didn't have a chance to grab the other one. But it's but, pretty- but, but but yeah. Here's the thing: the 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 web the website that Peg was using before, uh, windy.com. If you click on that site and then go to the um, camera page, I spent about five minutes early this morning when I put together the report here, looking at different places up across um, 70 to 80 of their webcams, you can actually go back in time trying to find areas that may have had the northern lights. I didn't find any, uh, but I'll go back and look again. But spaceweather.com is one, and then windy.com is one. If you really want to you know, waste some time being indoors on a day like today, <laughs> you, can look, you can find the northern lights. You don't want to waste time being indoors today because it's going to be the no, last beautiful. Yeah, yeah, semi-nice day that we're going to have for a while. Mike's all yeah. dressed for trick-or-treating already. I'm all ready for trick-or-treating. I cannot get the cape. There we go. Oh, my Sorry. God. Well, at least, at least this year we don't have to go as winter coats. You can actually go as a uh, as a costume. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's, 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 it's been that way the last couple of years with COVID. And then 2019, remember, mm-hmm. we had three and a half inches of snow. Uh, oh, yeah, the snow. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Remember that? The yeah, so I'm, snow. Remember that? Yep, I'm I'm going as a uh, as a uh, IDOT snowblower, you know. Well, guess, um, guess <laughs> that's good. I like that, but I want to show you. I just uh, the site. I finally got the site to work, and here it yeah, is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then when you go up into the, uh, the the camera site, and you go into just to the right of that, um, uh, go up to the to just to the right of that orange ball. That'll make it larger. And this is actually the square right outside where the UN <laughs> Climate Summit. Uh, is taking place. No, yeah, in so. the in the uh, camera on the upper left, Mike. <laughs> oh, in the upper left? Okay. Where it shows the uh, square. Uh, so click yeah. down the far right, far right oh, next oh, right. to the there yellow dot. There you go. There you go. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. So um, 
So, you know, Glasgow is, I think it's like 57 degrees north. So um, they get dark this time of the year at almost, I think, 4.30 in the afternoon. They have really, really late, um, really, really early sunrise and really late sunsets, really late sunrises and really early sunsets. Um, So we'll see what happens at this square. I I don't know what, it looks like there's like steps that lead up to something on the other side of that um, statue. I'm not too sure what that is, but it definitely looks important. Uh, and with the climate summit taking place, um, we'll see if there's anything that comes from that. And, and hopefully they'll be able to come out of that summit with a, a clearer idea of, of where we're heading. I mean, I, I know that's something we can talk about next week. Yeah, I think we should talk a little bit about the summit next week. Uh, but right now, uh, we need a forecast. Yeah, and you guys will be at the, um, the Green Expo, right, next week? Well, um, it's, it's virtual. It's online. Okay. All right. Uh, so you're and, not going to be there. Uh, no, we, we, no, nobody will be, but it's going to be a great event and there's lots of great stuff yeah. online. But the, well, we'll have um, exhibit booths, but we're, we aren't actually there. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, well, sunshine is out. Uh, cold fronts coming through. Um, 55 will be the high today. Uh, 35 will be the low tomorrow, but the wind chill probably about 25. Um, you'll start out sunny tomorrow morning, but because the atmosphere is so cold in the upper levels, will immediately go cloudy like by 10 o'clock. So it'll be overcast with the northwest wind of about 20 miles an hour tomorrow with a high of like 45. It'll feel like the mid-30s. Ah. Um, and um, there's going to be two different yeah, two different waves of cold air that comes through. The first one tonight and then the second one Tuesday night. And this, I think the second one Tuesday night is really going to drop everybody um, into the mid-upper 20s. So typically this time of year, you need more than just one shot of cold air. You need like two. Um, and this is probably not going to be a frost event because there's going to be a lot of wind and the atmosphere is going to dry out, but it's definitely going to be a killing freeze. So I know myself, I got to take my hanging plants and they're not going to, they'll probably survive tonight, but they won't definitely survive tomorrow. No, today's so, the day to get them in. Um, I've been slowly bringing mine in. I've only got a couple more outside, so I'm looking good here. Yeah, and, and other than that, um, warmer weather uh, for next Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then a much, much more significant cool down uh, for about the 10th to about about the 12th to about the 14th. So I'm, I'm, I want to focus a little bit more on longer term um, as we head into the month of November, but next week when we talk, we'll definitely uh, unpack whatever happened at the UN uh, Climate Summit. Hopefully it's, a, hopefully it's good news. We need to do a longer segment. Yeah. That uh, maybe will. Uh, let's uh, if we if, if you're interested, we could probably do a longer segment next week um, and talk about the, the climate action. I'll just, right. bring, I'll just bring a bigger coffee mug. Why exactly. Not exactly. Well, I need I need my and I'll, I'll have my window closed by next week. Apparently uh, <laughs> it's still yeah. open. Right. Yeah. Here's here we go. I'm ready. Here we are. Everybody, everybody <laughs> get your coffee here you cups. Go. Here's to uh, fixing climate change. Woo. Uh, boy i'm 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 leaking all over i've got drips all over my coffee cup all right uh i've got i have drips on my coffee cup all right uh rick thank you so much we will there you go mike we'll talk to you next week all right take care see you guys Okay. All right. You know, and, and and the one thing I didn't play today that uh, I I really meant to play. Uh... 
in honor of Halloween. I also didn't play uh, uh, my little friend here who, who took one look at me and said... How's that? All right. If we got Halloween covered, if we uh, we're, we're 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 all covered sort of. here, sort of. Anything yeah. after that, we're going to just start having YouTube shut us down. Yeah. So I say, uh, let's uh, let's get out of here. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! Okay. Uh, th- oh, I need my bat. Where's my bat? I want to thank all the folks who are on the show. Uh, and that includes uh, Karen Hudson and uh, Chris Peterson and Kathy Martin from uh, SRAP. There's my little friend. Okay. Uh, I want to thank Rick DeMaio, Kathleen, as always, Legata the cat, and Basil the dog. And uh, until next time, go green or... Go home. Go home. I can't find the figure. Oh, there, there it is. Goodbye. Whoa. Didn't miss much.